Welcome to the Ninth Arch, a Masonic podcast that takes a further look at the three Yorkite degrees called the Council of Cryptic Masons. Here you will find interviews and discussions on topics and research papers related to the Cryptic Council. The views and opinions of the speakers are that of their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of the Grand Council. Follow us on our Facebook page for further discussions after the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Ninth Arch Podcast. This is your host, Derek Helfer. And in today's episode, we are going to start with some uh, questions that came in from our last episode dealing with Moses's tabernacle. And these questions come from Companion Estes. And his first question was, uh, Companion Jasker, you talked about the tabernacle being moved multiple times in the 40 years that the Israelites were in the wilderness. How many times was it actually moved? God had told Moses to record all his moves and to where they went. And this was found in Numbers 33.2. But first, we have one addition. In Sunday school class, you remember them telling us that God sent a cloud by day and a fire by night to guide them. If the cloud of fire did not move, neither did the tribe of Israel. The cloud actually had a residence a tent called the Tent of Congregation. Uh, Moses writes that upon trying to enter the tent, the cloud was so thick that he could not enter therein. And this was found in Exodus 40, 34 through 38. The Israelites left Israel. They left Ramses on the 15th of January. The first stop was Sokoth, and they had moved seven times before they had reached the Red Sea. They moved 36 times after the Red Sea crossing while they were in the wilderness until they reached the Jordan where the second crossing occurred. Then they spent two years at Gilgal. Things get a bit sketchy after that. God told Joshua, conquer all the cities in Canaan, otherwise they would become a thorn in Israel's side. God gave him the area which was to be theirs, starting with Jericho. The ark remained in the tabernacle until they built King Solomon's temple. Aaron's rod was laid up at the tabernacle as the tribe of Levi, along with the rod from the 12 tribes. The one that blooms will be the one that in charge of the tabernacle. Aaron's rod brought forth buds, bloomed, blossomed, and yielded almonds. Jeff, previously, you also asked why King Solomon and not King David built the temple. King David wanted to know the population of the people, but had forgotten the commands of Moses, which states, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel, after their number, then shall they give every man ransom for his soul unto God. Then thou numberest them, that there would be no plague among them when thou numberest them. When King David commanded that every person should pay a shekel to God, he had Job, captain of the hosts to number the people. It took nine months and 20 days. Job gave the number to the king without the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Levi. Now the number of the rest of the Israelites were 900,000 men that could go to war. 
but the tribe of Judah by itself was 400,000 men. The prophet signified to David that God was angry with him. So God sent Nathan, the prophet, to him with three options. The first, a famine that would last seven years, but the king had stored grain in anticipation of a drought. Second, a war where they would be subdued by their enemies for three months. And the third, a pestilence and a distemper that would last three days. King David said it would be better to fall into the hands of God than into the hands of his enemies. The prophet told King David to choose quickly, so he chose the three days of pestilence. The next morning, the most agonizing and miserable deaths were occurring. People dropping dead in the streets with boils and rashes. 70,000 had died by that evening. David put on sackcloth and prostrated himself on the ground and begged God that the disaster might cease and that he would be satisfied with those who had already perished. He said to God that he might be justly punished, who was their shepherd, but that the sheep ought to be preserved as not having sinned at all. He implored God to send him wrath upon him and his family, but spare the people. Then God heard his supplication and caused the pestilence to cease. God sent his prophet Gad, who commanded David to go immediately to the thrashing floor of Ornon the Jubasite and build an altar there to God and offer up a sacrifice. King David made haste to place the appointed King David made haste to the place appointed him. Now Onan was thrashing wheat when he seen the king. He came to him and worshiped him. He was a Jubasite, but a friend of David's. Ornan asked what he wanted. The king answered, to buy your thrashing floor that he might build an altar to God. Ornan said he could have it freely, but David thanked him for the offering, but insisted to pay him 600 shekel. God had directed King David to the location where Abraham had offered his sacrifice, his son Isaac, and property of Ornan the Jubasite was on Mount Moriah, where the temple was to be built. David called his son Solomon and charged him with the task of building the temple of God and said, I was willing to build God a temple myself, but he prohibited me because I was polluted with blood and war. But he hath foretold that Solomon, my youngest son, would build his temple and he should be called by its name. The name Temple of Solomon is symbolically used as the Master's Lodge. It is said in the ritual that a mason comes from the lofty tower of Babel, where language is confounded and masonry lost, and that he is traveling to the threshing floor of Ornan the Jubasite, where language was restored and masonry refound. The interpretation of this rather obtruse symbolic expression is that on his initiation, the mason comes out of a profane world where there is ignorance and darkness and confusion as there was in Babel. That he is approaching the Masonic world where the temple built by Ornan threshing floor, there is knowledge, light, and order. That would be the end of that first part. Okay. Unless... And, and then Jeff had a question about the threshing floor and how big it was. Uh, the word for a threshing floor in Hebrew is go-ren. 
which means any open area with a smooth floor. No dimensions are given in Hebrew or Bible references that I could find. By the way, the thrashing floor will become an important part of one of our upcoming podcasts. Jesus referred to himself as a ladder in John 1, 51. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Everyone should be acquainted with the story of Jacob's ladder, that his mother had a vision from God that stated that Jacob would receive the blessing and not his older brother Esau. After Isaac, who was very old and blind, gave Jacob the blessing, it was too late to take it back. Then Jacob left for fear of a reprisal by his brother. His mother sent him to Canaan to find a wife. He didn't like the Canaanites, so he slept outside and had his vision, a ladder suspended in heaven with angels ascending and descending. Afterwards, he set up an altar, thanked God, and called the place Bethel. The first of these legends in the order of time elates that the stone of foundation was possessed by Adam while in the Garden of Eden, that he used it as an altar, and on his expulsion from paradise, he carried it with him into the world. Descending to Seth, from Seth it passed by regular succession to Noah, who took it with him on the ark. At the subsidence of the flood, he made his first thank offering on it. Noah left it on Mount Aramat, where it was found by Abraham, who removed it. His grandson Jacob took it with him when he fled to his uncle in Mesopotamia and used it for a pillow when he had a celebrated vision. How does Jacob's ladder pertain to King Solomon's temple? In Freemasonry, Jacob's ladder first appeared on a tracing board dated 1776, which only had three rungs to the seven we have now. In the first degree of the Scottish Rite, 30th degree Knight of Kodash, the latter symbolizes the lessons learned in life, which is properly used, brings us higher in knowledge. Its lessons are forgotten. The danger of falling is continuously present. It is interesting that the temple had odd numbers of steps. The person climbing the stairs, if stepping off with the right foot, would arrive at the top of this with the same foot that they started with, a good omen. Also, the pathogenian system, odd numbers were considered more perfect than even ones. Therefore, the use of odd number stairs was intended to symbolize the perfection of the candidate was expected to reach. Also interesting is the exact number of stairs. Some tracing boards in the 1700s show only five steps. For lectures in England, the total number was 25 divided into series of one, three, five, seven, and nine. In the Book of the Dead, it says, my steps are now positioned so that I might see God. The legend of Enoch is so interesting and important to Masonic science as to excuse a more than brief reference to it. Masonic scholars adopted this legend, which commences with the patriarch Enoch, who was the first keeper of the Stone of Foundation. Enoch, in obedience to the instructions he received in a vision from God, built a temple underground on Mount Moriah. His son Methuselah constructed the temple consisting of nine vaults situated perpendicular beneath each other and connected the apertures 
left to each foe. Enoch then made a triangular plate of gold. Each side was a cubit, 18 inches or six palm lengths long. He enriched it with precious stones and installed the plate upon the stone of agite of the same farm. On the plate, he engraved the true name of God, the Tetracrumation, placed it in a cubical stone known thereafter as the stone of foundation and placed it within the lowest arch. He made a door of stone and attached to it a ring of iron, by which means he might be occasionally raised and placed it over the most upper arch and covered it so that it could not be discovered. Enoch himself was only permitted to enter once a year. After Enoch's passing came Methuselah and Lamech, then the flood came. All knowledge of the subterranean vaults were lost to the ages. In the Talmud, the building of the first temple in Jerusalem, the stone of foundation again makes its appearance. Jewish tradition says that David, when digging the foundation for the temple, found in the excavation a certain stone on which was inscribed the ineffable name of God. King David had laid the foundation of the temple upon which the substructure was to be erected by Solomon. Solomon had it removed and wisely deposited in a secret and safe place. There was a stone in the Holy of Holies on the west side, which was placed the Ark of the Covenant, and before a pot of manna and Aaron's rod. When Solomon had built the temple and foreseen that sometime in the future that it would be destroyed, he constructed a deep and winding vault underground for the purpose of concealing the ark wherein Joshua deposited it with the pot of manna, Aaron's rod, and the oil of anointment. This was found in 2 Chronicles 35.3. The Talmud book, Yoma, says the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the center of the Holy of Holies upon a stone rising three fingers above the floor be a pedestal for the ark, and that's two and a quarter inches. Uh, a finger is equal to three quarters of an inch in width. Divine truth is the greatest objective of all Masonic labor. The search for the lost word is the search for truth. The mystical stone that was placed in King Solomon in the foundation of the first temple is the first temple of our present life. and must be built on a sure foundation of divine truth. Yet we never quite attain it. The foundation stone is concealed in the first temple and the master mason knows it not. He has not the true word, but only receives a substitute. But in the second temple of the future life, we have passed from the grave, which has ended our labor in the first. We have removed the rubbish and found the brilliant effluence of the tetragrammation and the stone of foundation, divine truth, but discovered and brought to light in the second. So that's pretty interesting. So the, so the stone of foundation was, so there's a couple myths there, right? So yeah. one of them is it's the threshing floor. Another one is it's the stone of Adam, Adam discovered. It wasn't the threshing floor. The, the threshing floor just concealed the underground vaults. Okay. So the, okay. So the threshing floor was built up, up, upon the top of Enoch's right. arcs that Enoch had built. Gotcha. So that right. makes sense. Um, well, the threshing floor it will actually be the ends up being the holy of holies in King Solomon's temple. Okay, and that's why there's no dimensions to it because every every place I looked, I it it just said that it was a flat area. It never said anything about dimensions. Gotcha.
We hope you have enjoyed listening to The Ninth Arch, a Masonic podcast where we take a deeper look at the Council of Cryptic Masons. Join us next time for another in-depth discussion, and don't forget to check out our Facebook group, The Ninth Arch. Thank you for joining us today, and may peace be with you on your travels.